Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Controversial Jesus Part 3, My Kind of Sabbath, recorded Sunday, February 27th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. We're in this section of Mark that we've entitled The Controversial Jesus, and we're seeing that Jesus wasn't all peace, love, and save the planet. As a matter of fact, I, I think William Wallace was more like Jesus than Gandhi was. C.T. Studd, a wealthy young man who not only had a cool name, but left all his wealth behind to take the good news to unreached people in the continent of Africa, wrote this. Some like to dwell within the sound of a church and a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Jesus found himself on the firing line of hell, and he struggled mightily with the bell ringers. And here's an example of that in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful? on the Sabbath. Now, those of you who are hardworking farmers in our midst who might cringe at the thought of people actually entering into your well-sown fields and, and, and gleaning for themselves, I, I understand your anxiety, but in Jesus' day, that was not illegal. It was a way to help starving people. It was a beneficial way for those who couldn't take care of themselves. The Pharisees, by the way, weren't questioning that they were taking grain. They were questioning that they were doing it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus defends it. Here's what he says, verse 25. But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which was not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. He's just showing them in that case, David clearly broke the law. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, and this really irked them. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So he's saying, the Sabbath, it's a gift, not a burden. And we're like, well, I don't, we, what's wrong with that? I mean, what, what's wrong with, you know, with someone taking care of their most basic needs, even if it's on the Sabbath? And that's a good question. And that's the question Jesus is asking them. Let's see what happens after that. And he entered, this, this is chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So this is probably a deformity that he had for life. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So you see where their hearts are. Now, if this continued today, by the way, if the, understand the law. If, if you had surgery on Friday you'd be on your own till Sunday because if a healthcare worker in our day, if they were under these laws, could not lift a finger to help you. 
on the Sabbath. So, again, Jesus is showing us that God gave us a gift. They turned it into a legalistic burden. So he picks a fight. Look at what happens. Verse 3. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Stand up in front of everyone. Get up on the stage. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he's ticked off. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored to whole as the other. Now catch their response. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy, how they might kill him. Now, once again, we see an incident where there's a direct confrontation that Jesus initiates with these, these Pharisees. And we're gonna, this is a constant thing we see throughout the Gospels, and it's all about what are the rules. And, and I, I think it brings up a need that all of us can relate to. I think we need guidance. I do, at least. But what we don't need is another burden. Now, Jesus is addressing something that everyone who calls himself a God follower wrestles with, and that is distinguishing between a rule and a preference. And so what's right for, for us may not be right for you or you for us. I mean, it's really one of those things we really struggle with. And, and what moral truths should, should all of us grasp onto and not let go of? And, and what, what truths might be flexible for us? And it's, just, it's, it's a challenge. I don't know if you think it is, but I certainly do. I deal with it weekly and daily even. When Mark wrote his gospel, he assumed that the people who would read it would know things about the Jewish law because the audience would have been primarily made of people who came out of Judaism. And so they would know things about the Ten Commandments, for instance, and the Sabbath. And so the third of the tenth, Ten Commandments states this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sabbath is a day set aside for rest and worship. Holy means to be separate from the world. It means to set aside time for God and rest in a world that maybe doesn't do that very well. Every seventh day was gifted as a total day off. It would have been Saturday in their vernacular. Now, God promises people that if we work hard for six days, we deserve a day of rest. He gave it as a gift. All of the Ten Commandments were given as gifts, blessings, that, that brought great good to people and, and cultures if they would embrace them. So, like, when you step back and look at them again, you might say, oh, drat, there's no restrictions on murder? I mean, of course you would. I mean, if, if, if you wouldn't say, let murder be. I mean, oh, bummer, you can't mess around with my wife? Uh, sure a shame that you can't steal my F-150 Lightning tonight when I go to sleep. I mean, 
By the way, it kind of makes you wonder where we're heading as a country, doesn't it? When I said that. I mean, God, I have to take a day off? What are you talking about? But over the centuries, this gift became a burden because well-meaning religious people said, well, we've got to protect that gift and let's add more laws to it and more and more and more. So what became, what was a gift became 39 sections of laws about how to live out that gift. And so things like this, and there's a bunch of them, you cannot hand a piece of fruit to another person because that's work. You cannot throw an object in the air and catch it. Work. Today, you cannot flush your toilet. That'd be too much work. Jesus is pointing at them, and he's, and he's ticked off, remember? He said, you have turned a gift into a monstrous burden. And they turned Jesus into public enemy number one. How did the most religious people in the first century do this to the one that God sent to save them? It's the same way that people in the 21st century do it. And what happens is it's a roadmap that doesn't happen overnight. Remember, as we've gone through the book of Mark, we're only three chapters in now, and we kind of see a pattern that develops with these people. It started in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, when Jesus' popularity had risen to the point that people were following him, and these Pharisees were looking at that, and they were jealous. They were jealous about the following. Human jealousy gets it started. And then in Mark chapter 2, in a very crowded Capernaum, he proclaims in front of a priest about a man who had been lowered through the roof of a, of a home so he could be healed, a paralytic. He said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, ah, no, no, no. Now only God can forgive sins. And it's as if he shook his head and said, you got that right. And they didn't like it. And it got worse. Matthew 2, 18, or excuse me, 2, uh, 13. Jesus invites a tax collector to follow him. And he, then he goes to his dinner party and it's filled with all kinds of sinners who could never have stepped foot in their synagogues because of their lifestyle. And then in verse 18, Jesus' disciples didn't fast. The Pharisees questioned their loyalty to God. Jesus, in effect, says that fasting is a response to God, not a ritual to follow. And then he basically said to them, you don't need to call, follow those rituals if you're going to follow me. And then Jesus Disciples break one of their long-standing traditions where they supposedly work on the Sabbath. They pick some grain off some heads of wheat. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, Jesus intensely angers them by doing a healing on the Sabbath to prove a point. And that is how the religious leaders decided that they would crown him with thorns because they didn't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'll just be a narrow-minded, uh, rule-bent, pharisaical jerk. No, you don't just wake up and do that. It's over a period of centuries where their forefathers had added 600 laws to the law. It happened the same way it happens today. It happens in every segment of society. In our world, you are seeing that there are powerful elitists who believe that they know what's best for everyone else. And you, you know this is true because you see it happening. That we might be a little too simple to raise our kids, so we're going to tell you how to raise your kids. 
that you might be a little too short-sighted to save our world. So we're going to just make sure that we show you how to do that and you're going to fall in line. We're going to put up a bunch of fences to keep everyone in check. I don't know about you. I'm feeling that kind of tension. Friends, there are, there, listen to me, 54,000 laws on the books in the state of Nebraska. You know what they are? I don't either. Now, did I say that there should be no laws? Did I say that? I did not. This isn't heaven. There's a lot of sin. Did I say that people who enact laws and enforce laws are bad people? I did not. I am intensely grateful that there are protectors and I will be the last person on earth who will do anything like defund policemen, okay? But here's a concern. It's when the laws are not based on the most basic moral truths that God established and they become human laws that take freedom from others. You know, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, it says this, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And then this, do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Jesus on earth, when he walked here, was here to rebuke and prove. Now, legalism always claims to be based on the Bible the rules are never found in the Bible. So remember, the command is, remember the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. It's based on the Bible. But to reach out and pluck a head of grain and eat it because you're starving and be punished for that, that's not in the Bible. Don't heal. That's not on the, based on the Bible. And you and I have run into similar things in our lifetime. I remember as a kid, you know, I was trying to figure out you know, what it meant to be a Christian. And, you know, I, I heard things like this. Don't worship idols. And then the, the, the catchphrase for that was, don't go trick-or-treating. Or don't get drunk be, became don't drink. Or don't cause a brother to stumble became don't do anything fun because somebody might stumble. Okay? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit became don't smoke. Now, don't eat ice cream, you know, stuff like that. Now, by the way, I'm going to land there for a second. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do not get together with a prostitute. Why are you going to the temple and engaging in prostitution? Because you're a Christian now. That's basically the question. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, that's still a great thing to remember, and we should, we should land there in our lives if that's an issue for us. But that doesn't give anyone the right to put me on a guilt trip because I stopped at Baskin-Robbins after church, okay? I'm just saying, it's, it's different. It's a different thing. The idea is to do what's good for your body, and I certainly understand that. I've been around plenty of Christians where drinking and smoking is the go to hell and do not pass go card, okay? Now get me here. I'm fully aware that Habitual smoking and drinking is a horrible way to live your life. I, I tried it for about three years when I was 17 to 20, okay? I get it. It did me absolutely no good. Bad for my social life. Bad for my pocketbook. If you choose to be a smoker for, the, for a lifetime, you're going to probably pay a lot of dumb tax for that. 
I'm just telling you, you probably know that. I didn't have to tell you that. But when we add some kind of extra rule and then say, you know, this is like the determining factor on your salvation. See, I might be really good at pointing out what I think you need to do in your life. I can tell you, I still struggle when I go to that Valentino's buffet line. I mean, it's a real big issue for me. I'm just telling you. That's what the Pharisees did. They held on to these extra biblical standards. They, they, they exaggerated them. And the problem isn't that, that these personal rules were put into our lives for our health and our well-being, for our spiritual improvement. The problem is when you place those expectations on people's lives and then you judge them. That's the issue. Now, that's what they did. Look, there's nothing wrong, something even incredibly right about me, you, putting fences in our lives that keep us healthy and safe. I can look at my background. I can look at my father, my grandfathers, and my assortive relatives, and I can say, probably a good idea if I don't engage in a lifestyle of drinking. It's a good idea if I don't use tobacco products. But you know what? If you figured out that those things are harming you, that they're hurting your family, that they're hurting your health, I applaud you for that. And as a matter of fact, this is why we encourage our small groups not to have those things involved with the small groups and other things too, because they're not, you know, there could be someone, a brother or sister, who will stumble because those things are involved. And that's why we offer Celebrate Recovery. Because there are people who it gets out of hand and they need help. They need a community. And, and so what's personal is personal. And I, I don't have any right to stand up here and tell you, you know, you shouldn't have a glass of wine with your wife on your anniversary. But you know what? If you're my brother or sister and you're really getting deep into sin with your lifestyle and these things are involved, how can I not be responsible and say, friend, how can I help? You know, so understand this. So C.S. Lewis, though, said this, and this is, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite theologians, and I think he had most things right. He says this, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up one thing himself without everyone else giving it up. An individual Christian may decide to give up all sorts of things for reasons that make sense to him. Marriage, meat, beer, cinema, Now he is like the first part of the century, you know, first 20th century. But the moment he begins saying that such things are bad in themselves and starts, listen, starts looking down on his nose at others who use them, he's taking the wrong turn. There's not a person here with any kind of sense of intelligence who would say, I don't need boundaries in my life. But you know what? This group of Pharisees, they, they didn't realize something. It was early, but they still didn't get it. In Jesus, it's finished. Now, this doesn't come directly from this passage. It's really going to come from the whole book, but I'm going to say it because it's going to play out over and over again. On the cross, Jesus accomplished everything we need to be made holy before God. That's why we are no longer under a law like the law of the Sabbath. Now, this can go pretty quick, so hold on. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, 
Here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke, uh, the pen will by any means disappear from the law. Listen, and here it is. Until everything is accomplished. So he says, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, until all things are accomplished. And guess what Jesus' final words on the cross were? His final words were, it is finished. And then something happened. You can go back to Mark, Matthew and read this. If you look at Matthew 27, something incredible happened. At the moment that Jesus gave up his spirit, the temple of the curtain, the curtain in the, in the temple, which was 40 feet tall and something like four to six inches thick. It was an incredible, in itself, an incredible uh, piece of tapestry. And that split from top to bottom because it symbolized that when Jesus went to the cross and the scripture says plainly that he atoned for our sins, that God tore that temple open so that all of us could have access to freedom. And that freedom comes with what Jesus did for us. He makes us holy. All the laws were done on that day. All of it was finished. All 613, including the first 10. Now, before you pull an elder aside after this sermon or you decide to send me emails of concern, let me explain something about that. Nine of the 10 commandments that were established by Moses through by, through, through Moses by God, nine of the ten are repeated in the New Testament. Guess which one isn't? Remember the Sabbath. It's not a law anymore. But let me give you an example of how well-meaning Christians tend to circle back on law, how we pick and choose what we want to enforce. And one of the three, uh, 613 laws that some people used to focus on as if it were a law of all time, is Leviticus where it says, do not cut your bodies or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Now, I can't tell you how many parents have come to me and said, because they're going through something with their teenager, hey, where's that tattoo verse in the Bible? And I'm like, well, you really want to know? And, yeah, I want to know. And I said, well, you've got to read all of them. Don't just read that one, because there's a lot of them there. And so, uh, for instance, in, in, in Leviticus 19.27, it says, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Now, I don't know anybody that's just saying, well, we can't get haircuts. Okay? Or before that, it says, do not eat any meat with blood still in it. And usually the people who are asking about the tattoo verse aren't saying, and by the way, I want to know about that T-bone steak verse too. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We like to pick and choose. Now, look, if you're going to put body art on yourself, if you're going to, if you're going to do offensive things and put demons and, and junk on your body and, and, hate, and hateful messages, shame on you. But if I'm going to say to you, you can't have a tattoo, shame on me. And by the way, if you're a parent who's, who's you know, young kids want these things and you, you're, they're still, you're still funding them, you have every right as a parent to say, no, not on my dime. But that same chapter in Leviticus, it, it has prohibitions against touching dead bodies because it made people unclean. They couldn't go to the temple. I don't know about you, but I'm glad the EMTs are working on the weekends. And, and I'm glad that they're willing to touch dead bodies if need be 
Because they serve the needs of people. And he didn't make that stuff illegal for the sense of making them illegal. Israeli worship over the centuries included things like drums and guitars of every kind of imaginable. And yet I will hear people, Pharisaical people sometimes say, can't have that stuff in our services. I'm like, what? Show me that in the verse, you know? Jesus fulfilled the law. The New Testament repeats some of the laws, but groups of them, uh, 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 people in that day, they, they pushed on some of them. And Jesus said this. He said this in another place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the laws that all of us have to live by. Three encouragements as you consider how to best live in community with others. First of all, let's all choose to see the Bible as a mirror, not binoculars. You know what I mean? So we're all on this path toward God, we hope. And so we're going to learn things from the Scripture. There's something that you can get called log eye disease. You heard of this? It's Matthew chapter 7. It talks about log eye disease. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It says, in essence, it says, stop trying to pull a splinter out of your brother or sister's eye when you got a big old log hanging out of yours, log eye. I mean, I mean I, I, I'm a preacher. I love studying the scripture. Like, it gives me energy. But whenever I turn that scripture away from my own gaze and put it on others, as if somehow I have some kind of judgment right in their life, I'm plain wrong. And that's what he's showing us. Not binoculars, where are you on the path, but rather a mirror, where am I? Number two, focus on majors, not minors. You've heard this before in a lot of life decisions. Because as we get a little more advanced in our faith, it's easy to start to argue and divide over the most minor issues. Now, I'm not talking about truth things, things that are like truth for all time. I'm not some existentialist who preaches whatever's true for you must be true. That might be the stupidest statement ever uttered in the history of mankind because truth is still truth. I mean, think about this. Like if, if, you're, if you're trying to find a place you've never been before and you put it in the GPS, I'm telling you, it's kind of stupid for you to immediately say, okay, that's what the GPS says. I think I'll just try my own way. Because there's still something true about that if the GPS is right. I seek truth. I study truth. I even try to point truth out in messages like this. There's a right. There's a wrong. But God gives us a remarkable range of freedom in the in-betweens. So what do we do with that for each other? Think about it with politics. I will tell you, I, have some, I admit this, I have some deeply held political beliefs. I do. I can be passionate about political things. And many, I hope, many of my deeply held political beliefs have been formed by my deeply held biblical beliefs. And you might be thinking, well, what are his deeply held political beliefs? And I might say, nunya. <laughs> or if I think you're not a, someone who's going to hack me into pieces, we might, I might just lay it out on you. And then you'll get bored and walk away and it'll be over. You'll never ask again. I'll talk politics with you. I'll feel strong about my views. But if 
if God's solid word is not involved, that's just my opinion, friend, and that's yours too, okay? And by the way, when the discussions get heated, I'm out. I don't need to argue with you about anything. More important to me is the kingdom of God. That's what matters. For those of you who have some theological background and you're really deep in study, congratulate. You know how much joy you find in that, so do I. But I want to say this. In heaven, there's not going to be an Arminian section in town and a Calvinist section in town. There's not going to be a Catholic section, a Protestant section, and there might even be charismatics living right next door to you. And those guys party all night long. I'm just telling you right now. So just better be ready for that. See, here's the thing. In the body of Christ, you get in by a blood test. Not yours. His. One more thing. Love people, not principles. These Pharisees, these two stories that we have, they loved rules, they loved the Sabbath principles more than they loved the people who were supposed to follow them. More than the suffering man, more than starving human beings. These Pharisees, stood stubbornly on the love of power. And I think if you ask them, if you, if, 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 if you ask them, they'd say, well, if push comes to shove, I'd rather be right than good. And Jesus said, he turned them on their heads. He said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes or no? You got to love Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish man who kept the law, by the way. He was a Jewish man and he kept the law. But he said, guys, you've forgotten. God gave us this gift, the Sabbath, not as a rule to keep, but as a way to have fellowship and communion with him. That's what this is for. Those Pharisees, they didn't plan on getting there. They kind of just ended up there, you know. It's kind of like staying at the Motel 6, you know, like you don't really plan on doing that. It just worked out that way for some reason. I don't know. No offense to you, Motel 6ers, but... It's the parent with the best intentions. It's the youth leader with the best intentions. It's the elder. It's the preacher with the best intentions. But when it comes to God, he doesn't need any help with truth, and he doesn't need any help with judgment. Jesus says, you do the next right thing, the next good thing. That's keeping the law. Let's pray together. Jesus had a passionate meal with his followers. It's called the Passover meal. It was was on the night before he was brutally murdered on a cross. Lord, those people that shared that meal with you, they'd had that every, I think all of them, every every year of their lives since they were born, a a meal that reminded them that God delivered their people from death as a death angel passed over them as their nation was being set free from bondage. And Lord, if those Pharisees would have been there at that meal with you, they would have rejected your new covenant. Lord, today, we, along with Christians around the world, we come to a meal that's not a ritual. It's not a rite. You say it's a remembrance. 
And one of the things that we remember is that it's finished. That Jesus passed the test. You gave your life of sinless holiness. Your blood shed to cover my sins, our sins. Not a rite, not a ritual, a remembrance. You let them break your body. You let them bleed you out so that we can pass the blood test. We celebrate this at this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.